All right. Hi, guys. My name's Evan. I'm probably half as enthusiastic as Seth. I don't know how many people are as enthusiastic as he is. But if you want to know his last name or his phone number, come and talk to me. I would love to give that information out. Um, Before we hop into the Bible, I just got to let you guys know about something. Rimrock, the church as a whole, we got us, and then we got the church that we call the church up the hill, are in a season of change. Two different points. First one, Rimrock as a whole has a candidate coming in two weeks to apply for the new head pastor. His name is Ben Green. There's a bunch of these on that back table that kind of give you a layout of who he is and why the search team over the last 10 months of prayer and meeting have decided to recommend Ben as a pastor, as the head pastor of Rimrock. You know, he'll be here in two weeks. On the 4th, November 4th, he'll be down here. And then on the 5th, he'll be up the hill um, for both services. You know, change is such an exciting thing when God is the one that is fueling that change. You know, it's somewhat uneasy, but when God is the one that is the catalyst and then the director of that change, it means that good things are coming. Um, and Ben, just from what I know about him, is going to bring such a cool thing to our church. He's 38 years old. He's got three kids from like nine down. He just has a mindset for pouring into communities and doing things differently. Just just a really a vibrant element that's coming. And I don't know if you guys know this, but we are Rimrock. As much as Rimrock up the hill, we are Rimrock. And so he will have as much influence on us as he does up the hill. So good things. You know, and the second season of change we're in is for us as a community. We were at a prime spot to be more than just a Saturday night service. We have a really strong community full of gifted individuals, and it's time to stop being so introverted and to start pouring into the community around us. God's been putting this on my mind and my heart over the last few months, and things are developing. People are coming along. You'll get a lot more encouragement and incentive, challenge, and the month of November um, to kind of be involved and kind of see where we're going. Oh. Sweet. Let's, uh, let's get into the Bible now. Let's learn more about the God of the Bible. That really is my desire whenever I'm up here is to just show you more about the God of the Bible because he does not change. And so the God we see in the Bible is the God that we serve, if you want, now, the God that we can interact with. You know, over the last three weeks, we've been going through Abraham's story in Genesis. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and then Genesis 22. And in that, we've seen God directly step into an individual's life in order to interact with them and to engage and to bring them into a deeper relationship. Is that humming all right? Not me. You know, initially we see that God initiated a relationship with Abraham. He stepped into a man who did not follow him in order to call him into a relationship with him. God is the one that started the relationship. And then we see that God solidified that relationship by giving Abraham a chance to believe fully in him, reckoning him righteous, purifying his soul, really redeeming their relationship. And then last week when we looked at Abraham being called to sacrifice his son Isaac, we saw how God was refining Abraham's trust in him. 
The more you trust in God, the deeper the relationship gets. So in each of these encounters, God is bringing Abraham's relationship with him into a deeper and a closer state. You know, with these three examples, they're major events, landmarks in Abraham's life through which his life is utterly changed. I think it's easy for us outside of the Bible to assume that the men and the women of the Bible lived lives far more exciting, far more, far more of like rich experience and of far more worth than the lives we live. But in reality, their lives are exactly the same as ours. Different culture, different time frame, but their experience with God is very similar to our experience. The stories about their lives recorded in the Bible are highlights. It's like a highlight reel. If you could have, let's say, 10 pages to record your entire spiritual life, imagine what you would put in there. Would you put this afternoon in there? Would you put the mornings? Would you put just a day-to-day? No, you would put the big moments that utterly changed your life. And that's the way it is for these men and women of the Bible. There are years and years in between that just consist of normal life. Let me give you some examples. So Abraham, guy we've been looking at, he heard from God 10 times in 50 years. Imagine that, 10 times in 50 years. He had to wait 25 years for the promise of Isaac to be fulfilled. And he died three to 400 years before his nation would become as numerous as the stars. He died 900 years before they would possess the land that God had promised him. And he died 1,800 years before he would be a blessing to all nations. This is common. Noah, he received instructions from God to build an ark and then spent 120 years building something that nobody had ever seen. And we have zero recorded evidence of God communicating with him during that time. Moses, he spent 40 years in the wilderness when he was running from Pharaoh. He had one amazing year where he got to see God interact with Israel and Egypt. And then he spent 40 years again in the wilderness with a bunch of whiners. He had like one cool year of his life. And he dies before he can even go into the land that he was leading him to. David, anointed by God. Incredible. Goliath, other amazing battles that he had fought. And then he spent 10 years being chased by a crazy king, living in caves. You know, David puts it this way in Psalms 10.1. You wouldn't mind. Thank you. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You know, their lives are a lot more like ours than we tend to believe. The major moments of God stepping directly into a person's life do happen, but they seem to only come around a few times in an entire life. So why does God choose to operate this way? Why doesn't he sit somewhere on a throne so we can see him and go and ask him questions? Why doesn't the God of all we know hover over our shoulders so we know he's there and we can respond to him? Well, you know, this is a heck of a deep question. And in my contemplation, I just came up with the idea that it creates the opportunity to trust. The reason why God interacts with us in major ways so few, in such few times throughout our lives, so rarely, is because it creates the opportunity to trust. Let me explain a little bit more. The most essential component of a relationship is trust. Without trust, the relationship will not exist in a healthy way. 
In order for trust to be formed and continue to grow, there must be physical distance between the two involved. I'll give you an example to explain this. If a husband was always inside of his wife 24-7, like creepily watching her sleep, then his trust in her and her character could never grow. He would simply react to her every word or action. He would respond to what he sees. Through physical space, he has to go back to what he knows about his wife, who she is, and the way that she demonstrates her love to him in the past. It requires him to believe on a mental and emotional level that she is faithful. You know, the wife also gives us kind of an example as well. For the wife, if her husband never left her side, she would never be given a choice or a chance to be faithful or choose to be unfaithful. For her to develop a heart of fidelity, of loyalty, of like genuine love, then she has to be given the freedom to choose. You know, I believe it's the same for us and God. Because God is not visibly present in our lives, we are forced to trust what we know about him through past experiences and what we have seen recorded in the Bible, the way that he's interacted with humanity and through the ways that he displays his power and his faithfulness through nature. There's evidence around us that he is good. The fact that he is not doing this always in front of our eyes requires us to meditate on our choice to trust him. This is where it really comes in. To examine the evidence and make a conscientious decision to trust that he is who he says he is. Through this process, this is what I think is so key, our minds and emotions become more engaged in our trust in our creator. Right? They, they develop around that trust. They become more con- it becomes more concrete and more foundational for our lives that he is trustworthy. Less responsive and more solidified due to that thought process. You know, from the wife's perspective, for us, because he does not sit on our shoulders, we are given the freedom of choice. And I think this is probably the biggest of the two. To choose to follow his plans for our lives or to reject his authority and trust in ourselves. You don't believe this? Read the first three chapters of the Bible. If an all-powerful God was visibly hovering over our lives, then our obedience to him would not be necessarily due to our love and desire to follow his guidance, but more likely it would come from fear and obligation. This is not what God wants. His desire for us is to love him genuinely and fully of our own decision. Oh, short answer to a big question. You know, really tonight I'm going to look at three deeper topics. That was the first one. The next two are deep in and of themselves. If one of these engages your mind over the other, just spend some time going into that on your own. I mean, I do not expect you to walk away having like a big picture understanding of all of this, but rather my desire is to prick something within your mind that makes you want to seek it out on your own. So how do we approach the time in between the grand and the awe-inspiring? How do we live out a life outside of the highlight reel? Because that is our life. So I want to look at two different things. First one, we got to remember that God is in our day-to-day. That God is in our day-to-day. You know, even though we seldomly experience the face-to-face style moments with our creator, and at times feel as if he's distant, even absent, in truth, he interacts with us daily. Zephaniah 3.17 put it this way. 
The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. The Lord your God is in your midst. You know, I think we see this in two different ways. The creator of all things did not simply put things into motion and then pull away. He does not sit up in heaven in an ivory palace and come to interact with us once a millennia so that way we know he exists. He is a God that is ever present in our lives. First one, without his presence, life would not exist. This is one we take for granted every single moment of every single day. Without his presence, we would not exist. He not only created everything, but he sustains everything. He is the source of life. That means life comes directly from him. If he was not intimately involved with our reality, then we would have no reality. Right, think about the breath that is in your lungs right now. Think about the fact that the sun rose this morning. If God did not cause that to happen, they would not have happened. And how crucial or essential are those to us? Right? Foundational. God is the source of all life. The fact that we are alive means he is in our presence now. The second one. Not only does he give us physical life, he is also at work in our mental, emotional, and spiritual lives. The Bible is based on the premise that God stepped into a broken world in order to redeem it. A major way that he is doing this is by influencing our individual lives. You know, I believe that the Spirit is continually at work. Prior to a person genuinely trusting in God, their creator, the spirit is stirring their hearts and minds, piquing their interest to search for more. Speaking truth into their lives so they know there is far more abundance than what they currently experience. When a person does genuinely trust in the God of the Bible, then the spirit inhabits them. You think that God is not with you in your day-to-day lives and you are a believer? He is literally within you. One of his major roles is to be our guide, to lead us into truth. Jesus puts it this way in John 16. This is such a foundational verse for me. If you want to know who the Spirit is, it starts here. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Think about how somebody guides you. They show you. They are there with you. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears and he will declare to you the things that are to come. If you keep reading, it says that he will hear from the Father who communicates to the Son and then to the Spirit. So it's from our Creator as a whole that he is guided to direct our lives. You know, these types of truths are ones that directly guide our lives in the day-to-day. Whether it's through conviction of what you should or should not do, we all feel that within us, right? That thought or that emotion like, man, I shouldn't be or I should be. Or it's a nugget of truth that changes your understanding, something that you read or you hear that just pops into your mind. It's just like, whoa, that changes everything. Now I understand. Or a prompting to do something with your money or or say something specific to someone. Or it's an encouragement or emotional support that comes in when you're in hard times kind of out of nowhere. 
You know, God is continually at work in a believer's life, refining them so they can have, an, a, more, can have a more abundant life. You know, I love kind of the way that Isaiah and Jeremiah kind of show us this idea of refining. Isaiah 64, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So kind of imagine a potter at the, at the spinning wheel, whatever it's called, and the clay being formed. You know, Jeremiah kind of plays off this as well. Jeremiah 18. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there, was, there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. You know, a pottery molds the clay gradually. Anybody in here ever make pots, do anything like that? One, right? So if you got any questions, right, Daniel will be here to show you after the fact. Right, but it's, it's a gradual remolding with slow consistency. The pressure of his hands can reshape an imperfect vessel. You know, the same is true for us. God is slowly but steadily, day after day, refining us. He is interacting with you on a daily basis, giving you the opportunity to trust him more and therefore live a better life. He is just like the potter supporting us as well in our weaknesses, strengthening us, strengthening us when we are about to collapse. So think about that pot and it's weak on one side and the way the hand comes up Instead of allowing it to fall, he strengthens it. You know, but often, most days, we don't notice him. Right? We can admit to that, if you guys are like me. We get too busy or we don't care to look for the way that God is working in our minds and emotions. And so we miss it. And then we miss him. You know, if we want to be more aware of God's presence in our lives, we have to be willing to slow down. Set apart time to still our minds and to focus on him. This is how genuine relationships are built. They are not made up of so, solely of moments that make it in the highlight reel. Those are significant but not essential. The essential moments come out of the ordinary and the normal. Right, those of you that are in a relationship here or think about father, mother, whatever you got for a relationship, if you were to ask a person to describe a person that's close to them, who they are, what their character is like, the way that they are, who they are, do you think they would just pull out those anniversary moments? Like the five-year and ten-year man, he did these amazing things. He blew my mind. Right? They may came up, come up, but it would more come from the day-to-day -day interactions that a person has. That's how you know somebody. And it's the same way with our creator. If you really want to know him, to build that relationship, it's going to come out of the day-to-day -day interactions in which we set time apart to seek his guidance and then follow it. In order to have these moments, we've got to make them a priority. On a regular basis, you've got to get quiet before him, read his word, spend time in a community that's focused on him. Making knowing, making knowing him, it's kind of weird, a priority is a way for us to become more aware of God's presence. Like if you leave here, if nothing else, ask yourself, is God truly my priority? Does my time 
show that God is my priority. All right, so the third big thought for the evening. The second way that we can handle living outside of the highlight reel. We need to focus on the hope of how he will someday interact with us. Focus on what is promised to come. You know, hope is such a crucial biblical concept. From cover to cover, the concept of hope saturates the Bible. This is because we live in a broken world, a world with pain and loss. The hope that the Bible continually encourages us to have is hope in God's total redemption. Not partial, total. Restoration of what is broken back to its perfect state. That means a world without pain or loss. You know, this won't occur until we die or until Jesus comes back. But during our days in the midst of this brokenness, we are called to long for the perfection that is to come. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul puts it this way. So we don't lose heart. You know, before this, he had just listed all of the hardships that they've gone through. So we don't lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwellings. You know, a lot of us in here are in our prime, right? 20, 30, maybe 40 years old. And this thought probably hasn't come to our minds very often, right? And it almost seems kind of fatalistic or kind of like a cop-out. Why would we remove ourselves from this moment so we can long for what's to come? The thing is, this world is broken and it's temporary. Whether you've come face-to-face with this now or seen other people do it, you will. And either way, your temporariness, our, our temporary nature will become evident to you. It's like a flash. And so there's far more for us to focus on besides the moment and the day-to-day. You know, by bringing our minds back to the hope we have in and through our Creator, our heart, the core of who we are, can stay anchored during uncertain times doesn't mean that you have to then jump into that mindset when life falls apart. Prior to that, if you are meditating on what we have outside of this temporary reality, then when those moments come, you're already anchored to that, that hope of what is there. You know, a major indicator that we have that shows us that what is promised will come is what God has already done. You know, this is where our personal experiences, those highlight reels, come into play in our here and now. Thinking back upon what God did in your life five years ago, ten years ago, right? The birth of your kid, whatever those moments where your mind and your life just exploded with enlightenment and saw that there is a God and he, He is good. Going back to those is important. But even more so, meditating on Jesus helps assure that the promised restoration will happen quick highlight of Jesus's life. God himself came to earth to interact with a broken humanity, to show us truth, to speak into our lives and show us a better way to live 
and to show us how we could be reconciled with our creator. He then willingly gives up his life so that, that that way that reconciliation can take place. If God did all that, why would he not do what he has promised to do in the future? You know, here as we end the service, we got a chance to take communion. It's over there on that rustic, looks really fragile, but stable tray. <laughs> and the idea of community is the bread represents, it, not, it is not really, but it represents Jesus' body that was broken. And the juice represents his blood that was given for us. And so it's a chance to tangibly hold, dip, and just think through what Jesus did for you and me, for all of humanity. So as the musicians come up and get their own communion, I encourage you, if you are a believer, take some time and interact as well uh, with God by taking communion.